take your Bible, turn over to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, as we continue our study in the book of Genesis, but specifically as we look at the life of Abram, or soon to be Abraham, um, we are talking about him as trusting Abraham. We're going to look at Lot, we're going to look at uh, Rebecca and Isaac, we're going to look at Jacob, we're going to look at Joseph as we go through Look at these narratives about their lives and what we can learn from these lives. And uh, I had Austin sing that last song because I think it's so important that we realize that we need to continue to build our faith. Build our faith. And that's what we're learning from Abraham and his life. And sometimes Abraham was strong and committed and other times he was doubting like we struggle with at times. So we're going to see his humanity but also learn some lessons from him. In Genesis 15, we see the contract with him today, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, God did, and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. And if you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word. Well, as believers in this world, there seems to be many times between uh, claiming the promises of God and seeing them fulfilled in our own personal lives. At times we claim those and then we have to wait patiently a long time sometimes for them to come to pass. But we're going to learn from Abram's life about acting obediently and doing what we know to do what is right in front of us, even if it's the daily mundane tasks of life that we think are not important God views everything that we do as important. And as we're obedient in the small things, then God will answer and fulfill his promise. So we have to hold tightly to the hope and the promises of God. Hebrews 6.19, which is uh, Hope at the Brick House's theme verse, it says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We have a God that we can hope that he is steadfast, He's not moved by the circumstances of this world. There's not a leader that's raised up that God isn't sovereign and powerful and in control over the circumstances of that person. In Hebrews 13.8, I love this verse because we sometimes look at the Bible and we see these stories and we think these people are super saints and superheroes. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he's done in the past for others he will do in our lives today. There's a moving illustration uh, in a Nebraska newspaper a number of years ago as they celebrated the 400th anniversary of the King James Version of the Bible. And they told the story of Dunkirk. And you remember World War II and the 1940s Germany was moving through France. Britain had committed 300,000 troops to fight, but yet Hitler was just plowing through France and they bottled up the Allied forces in Dunkirk. And if you ever saw the movie by Winston Churchill, it was out a couple years ago, he talks about the scene where they were surrounded and either they were going to be annihilated or they were going to have to surrender. 
And they decided to ask the English people to send their own little boats over and help safely remove those Allied forces. But there was a message by a British uh, commander, and he sent out these three words, but if not, but if not. It was a strong message of courage and of ultimate hope in the midst of trouble. It conveyed that the British were going to stand against Nazi Germany, even if it meant to the last person in Great Britain. The Nebraska newspaper article went to explain the background of that three-word phrase, and you're familiar with it from Daniel 3. And it reminds us of what, of what it was like, you know, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were uh, in front of Nebuchadnezzar, and they were told they had to bow before his idol, or he would, they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, hey, we're not going to bow down to any of your idols, but guess what? Even if God doesn't deliver us, but if not, we still will not bow. And that's the courage. But if not, words from God that still speaks to our hearts today. But if not, they're words of hope and courage when the world seems dark and hopeless. These are words to live by, and as we just prayed for, some people have died saying, but if not, knowing that they were going to stay faithful to their Lord. How far has your faith been put to the extreme test? When have you doubted? Let's look at how Abram handled God's assurance in a personal encounter with him. Now you have your notes. The last couple of weeks we talked about the call of Abraham in Genesis 12. Out of a polytheistic world in the Ur of the Chaldees, he came to faith in God. Then we, read, we talked about the compassion of Abraham a couple weeks ago. And now we talk about today's message, the contract that God made with Abraham. A very unique scripture we're going to look at today where you see he makes a, God makes an unconditional contract. No conditions whatsoever. This is what's going to happen. Now remember that a covenant is a contract or a promise that's made. And God made it with Abraham. He made three particular promises. He said you will have a people that will be your offspring and they will be called the Jews. And that's why he took them out and showed them the stars. They'll be numerous. There'll be blessings from God on the nation of Israel. And he says that those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And then there'll be a land, a land they will call their own and God would define the boundaries. This chapter is sealing the deal as far as God is concerned. So we see the surveying of the contract. The first thing you need to do when you're getting ready to sign a contract for a loan or a lease or whatever is you need to read the details you need to survey the contract. So God lays it all out for Abraham here that we'll read about in just a moment. My wife is a stickler for reading contracts. When we buy a car, she reads every detail. She's even corrected the finance manager on what com compound interest is in set times and found out that she was right. The recent one was when we sold my mom's house in Virginia. She read through the contract and the real estate agents didn't see it. The lawyer didn't see it who closed, but they owed us the amount of uh, the contents of the oil that was in the heating oil tank. And so we received a check because my wife read the details of the contract for $500. So it's important you understand when you enter into a contract, what are the terms? What are you signing off on? What is the expectation? What's going to happen if you don't fulfill the contract? 
So we need to understand the person you're making the contract with. Understand the person you're making the contract with. Look at verse 1 of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. It's amazing when you look through the Bible, the most uttered phrase by God is fear not. Do not be discouraged. Do not fear. God is your shield, he says to Abram. Protector, your great rewarder, the fulfiller of all his promises. God is reassuring Abram of how he is going to use him. What a comfort it is for us that if God calls us, he enables us, he provides the resources and the means because he sees down the road. He's prepared the way for us as we go. So understand who the person is that you're making the contract with. In this case, it's God, the God of the universe, the one who created it all. Second of all, understand the situation surrounding the contract. Look at verses 2 through 3. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Notice how Abram addresses God here. He uses the Hebrew word Adonai, Lord. He uses the word God, which is Yahweh or Jehovah. Abram continues by stating that it's great that God has declared this promise of Abraham being a father of many nations, but he didn't have a son. And how is it going to happen? He's 85 years old here. He's already waited 10 years on this promise. And Abram was holding his faith. If you look back to Genesis 14, we kind of gloss over these scriptures really quick. But it shows us an element of how deep Abram's faith is. He didn't want to rely on anyone else or to have anyone, anyone else say that he became rich or was blessed because of someone else, but because God alone. So he refused this opportunity. In Genesis 14, it says, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, again, after he went and delivered Lot and helped king Sodom bring everything back and all his goods, He said, I lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. He says, I'm playing to an audience of one. I want to give glory to one person. I want him to be the one who provides the resources. I won't be owned by any man. Abram was all in on trusting God and his promise. He was not going to be dependent on anyone else. That's an admirable position. He was holding on to God's original promise, as we said, found in Genesis chapter 12. But when God calls us, we have to understand that we're called to a God who is not in a hurry, who's not on our timeline, who's not on our schedule, who's not on our expectations. We live in a culture where everything is getting faster and faster, and it increases our impatience. Think about, some of you in this room can remember before there were microwaves, right? And you had to actually get the pot out and put it on the stove, or put it in the oven, and you had to cook it, right? Instead of put it in the microwave and push one minute ding, or five minutes, you got popcorn, right? Think about the pace that we live in. We want more speed for the downloads for our internet. 
TV shows where problems are resolved in 30 to 60 minutes. 15 second sound bites are the norm. Our attention span dwindles when we have a half hour sermon that seems like eternity, right? When God doesn't perform his operations in nanoseconds, our impatience begins to show our expectations go unfulfilled. So how do we resolve this problem? The key is to recognize that there's a certain tension between our expectation and relationship. Relationships operate in the here and now while expectations are always looking to the future. We're meant to be in the relationship and learn to accept whatever comes our way in the future. Think about it. David had to wait 12 years after he was anointed by Samuel to become the king. I mean, he was chased around like he was a fugitive, like he was a criminal. He had two opportunities to kill Saul, and he said, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Think about um, Joseph. We'll see down the road as we look at the end of the book of, of Genesis that he had to wait 13 years, and he built relationships along the way, and he had experiences that prepared him to be second in command of Egypt. When Peter wrote his epistles, first and second Peter, he fully believed Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still waiting for that to happen. Abraham left his home. He lived in a tent, but the promise of the land wouldn't be fulfilled till after he died. Till after he died, it would take more than 400 years. Faith is found for Abraham and for us with the focus on our relationships not the particular fulfillment of our expectation, the relationship with God and with others, that God is taking us on a journey, and in these relationships, he's preparing us and building us and making us for what he has for us in the future. That is where faith is to be found. Abram says that he will make Eliezer, one of his servants, his heir, and that God could use him to be the promised one. And back in that culture, that was acceptable. If you, your wife, and your husband couldn't have a child, you were allowed to designate a servant to become the one that you will give your riches to, that will carry on, not necessarily carry on your name, but carry on your business and those things. And so he was doing what was accepted in that culture. But you and I, we're just as guilty as Abram. We look at things from a common sense or the perspective of what we see around us. We look at our circumstances and we say, Okay, God, how's this all going to work out? God sees much, much higher and is tremendously unpredictable. But God has laid out the terms of the contract with Abram, and now he's sharing his commitment to the promises he has made. So understand the commitment involved in the contract. Again, going back to an illustration, we signed for a mortgage. We signed for a car loan. We need to know that how long the payments are going to be for. What happens if I don't pay for two months. When is my car going to be repossessed? When am I going to get kicked out of my house? Understand what is involved and be committed to the contract. In verses 4 through 5 of Genesis 15, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He said, this man shall not be your heir, God says. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought Abram outside, God did, and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them and then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Notice in verse 4, God said, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And another translation. As we said, it wasn't wrong for what Abraham was proposing. But notice what that word heir means. It means the son of possessions. 
God assures Abram and gives him a picture to hold in his thoughts of what God was promising. What about you? Do you have word pictures? Do you have uh, memorials in your life where you can look back and you can see stepping stones of faith where God at strategic times in your life has done something supernatural that you can build on? Think of David before he went to Goliath. He killed a lion and a bear. He said, if I can kill those, then God can help me kill this giant. He built on his faith. And those, those are the things that God brings into our life, evidences or pictures to remind us when we want to doubt, when we think it's too long for God to answer my prayer, when the promises aren't fulfilled. It's interesting, the same word that's used here in the Hebrew where he talks about that God made or created all the stars in the universe is the same God who will give Abraham many, many people as his offspring. God was saying no to Abraham's logical, common sense question about the servant becoming the heir and say, trust in me alone. Then we come to the very important statement written into the story by Moses. In Genesis 15, 6, and Abram, believed the Lord and counted it, and God counted to him as righteousness. Abraham had already received God's call for salvation back in polytheistic Ur of the Chaldees. It was a supernatural calling, as we talked about in that message, where God reached down. His parents were all pagan followers of pagan gods and idols, and God reaches down and calls Abram. And saves him. And God is making a statement of how far Abram has grown since the initial decision to come to faith in God here in Genesis 15. Remember, Paul quotes this scripture in Romans 4 3, where for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In Galatians 3 6, Paul said, It's just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Notice, imputed righteousness. That's when God gives us something that we can't earn, that we can't buy, that he gives us his righteousness and places it in us as believers through the form of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't anything, as I said, that Abram did. It was because of his faith. And we always have to come to God by faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You want to build up your faith? Get into the word of God. You want to build up your faith? Pray. And listen to the Holy Spirit work in your life. But back to verse 6 of Genesis 15. He said there he counted. He counted it to him as righteousness. Counted means considered, credited it. That he was justified by faith because God is the justifier. So we must act by faith that we are seen by God as if we have never sinned. And we have his righteousness in us. But do we live like that? There's a story about a Japanese soldier during World War II. He was in Guam fighting with the Japanese forces against the Allied forces. And he deserted the Japanese army. And he went and lived in a cave. And he lived there for 28 years, not knowing whether the war was over or not. He lived as if he was a prisoner of war until someone came and told him, hey, a number of years ago, the war is over. But he was living not knowing that. You and I... The war is over, and Jesus has won the victory. And we've been set free, set free from the doubt in this life. Faith is the courage to live out what we truly believe. And so we must live and walk in victory. So our application is this. Faith is found deeply rooted 
in God through prayer and evidences of God working in our lives. It's deeply rooted. It's something that we've experienced. It's not always tangible. It's not something that somebody else may have experienced. But you know in your heart of hearts when God has done something amazing and supernatural, answered a prayer, met the promise that you were claiming from God's word. Well, let's look at how God seals the deal once and for all by giving Abram complete assurance that when he promises, he will deliver and fulfill. This is exciting. You don't see anything similar to this anywhere in the Bible. You see the signing of the contract. The signing of the contract. First of all, God says to him, to Abraham, hey, remember your calling. When you doubt, we need to go back to where it all started to look back on the foundation of our faith. And he says, remember your calling. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Genesis 15. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to, keep, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? I don't know about you, but I'm tracking right here with Abram, right? Okay, God, you called me, but where's the plan? How's it going to happen? When are you going to tell me? What's it going to look like, right? Can you give me kind of a roadmap? And whenever you start to doubt because of our circumstances or because those around us are tempting us to do something crazy when you're down and discouraged, remember back to your salvation and God's hand and his calling on your life. And like that song we sang, his faithfulness, his faithfulness in our lives. We have to remain committed to what we know is absolutely true. The source of where you look for your truth is so vitally important. So remember your calling. Second of all, remember this commitment. Remember this commitment. Look at verses 9 through 11. God said to him, bring me, Abram, a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half, and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Once again, we see Abram's immediate obedience to what God tells him to do. He follows God's instructions. He's doing what he knows to do right now by obeying what's right in front of him. While you and I are waiting, we need to worship. We need to pray. We need to trust. We must do what is right before us that God has given us to do. As I mentioned, they could be the daily, mundane, simple things in our mind. But God cannot entrust us to bigger things until he knows he can entrust us with the smaller things of our lives. The Israelites, as we'll see in verse 13, would later be subjected to the birds of prey when they were enslaved to Egypt. Some scholars believe these birds swooping down on the scene represent the fact of the Egyptians bringing them into slavery. But thirdly, remember the picture of certification. God seals the deal finally here. And I just love the fact that God came and put it in the language of the Hebrew culture, something that they could understand, this contract, something that they uh, lived out in their life, and God accommodates them so they can, he can communicate clearly with them. I think about how personal our God is. Think about the word pictures that God gives. Nathan, the prophet, goes to David after David 
committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her, his, her husband get killed, tries to, you know, have this son and all that. And Nathan presents a word picture and then he says to him at the end, thou art the man. And David is convicted. I think about Gideon. He was shaken in his boots. God says, you're going to be the judge. You're going to go to battle. He kept reducing the size of his army. And he says, God, if you really want me to go, I'm going to put this fleece out. And one night it was to make sure it was wet. Nothing else around it was wet. And the next night it was the opposite. He doubted. He needed strength for his faith. Think of Jesus and the, and the people as they gathered around and they asked him a question about uh, supporting the government and paying taxes. He tells Peter to go out and get some fish. He brings the fish in. Jesus picks out one fish, opens its mouth, and there's a coin. And he shows them a word picture that, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, unto God's what is God's. God is amazing in how he personalizes to our lives what we need to hear. Well, he does this here for Abraham. And look at Genesis 15, 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's a lot to unpack in those few verses. We see a deep sleep. We don't know if it was a supernatural sleep or not, but we know like Adam was put into a deep sleep and a rib was taken from him and Eve was created. Uh, we know that God placed Saul and his armor bearer in a deep sleep one time and David came in with his armor bearer and the armor bearer was ready to strike Saul with one strike and kill him but instead, David said, no, let's don't touch the anointed. And they took his Saul's spear and his jar and revealed to them later on that he was faithful to not kill Saul. He supported his leadership. Well, then God speaks to Abram here in a vision. He says, your offspring will be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God gives a, a term that's approximate. It was 430 years that they were actually in captivity. They will be afflicted. They will be mistreated. And Israel has and always will face persecution and affliction until finally they turn to Jesus as the Messiah in the tribulation. And of course, God will usher them into the millennial reign. But God is all-knowing and sovereign over history. He's patient and he waits on people and nations to repent before pouring out his wrath. Think about that. God told Abram that the Israelites would have to wait until the Amorites reached the level of depravity that will cause them to be judged. See how God is able to know all. He's able to see down the road. The question to us as Americans, have we reached that tipping point of God's patience toward judgment? You know, we've legalized in 1973 abortion. Just a few years ago, we legalized same-sex marriage. And how long can we continue to turn away from God and still expect his grace and his face to shine upon us? The Bible shows us in the end times, according to prophecy, that America will not be a superpower. If you read in Ezekiel and Revelation, you'll hear about Gog and Magog, which is probably Russia, where Russia is today. 
talks about millions of foot soldiers coming from the east. That's probably where China is today. But there's nothing about the Western world, nothing of their power coming in and protecting Israel. So God is preparing the land that the Israelites would soon fill. But it would take time. He wanted it to be a place of milk and honey, to have homes and businesses and buildings that Israel would inherit as they drove out the people who worshipped idols. It would take the Israelites building up their faith in the wilderness for 40 years before they would be ready. And so as you and I wait for answer of, to, from God, for the answers of our prayer and to fulfill our promises we're claiming, know that God is using that in-between time to prepare us. I think of Moses. Think about it. He had to go on the backside of the desert for 40 years after he killed an Egyptian before God allowed him to be the deliverer of Egypt. Think about Joshua, the one who would succeed, follow Moses. He sat under Moses' leadership. He knew that they should have gone into the promised land 40 years before, but he endured that. And God was preparing him to take the leadership to bring the people of Israel into the promised land. Paul, after he was saved, spent three years alone with God studying before he started his ministry and his missionary journeys. Look at verse 17. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. A smoking fire pot and a torch, that was representative of who God is. The fire represented the consuming and cleansing zeal of Yahweh. It also represented his unapproachable holiness. It was a picture of his revelation in the pillar of fire for the Jews as God led them through the wilderness experience. But then you have to understand this whole concept of the contract back then. When two parties came together and, and agreed to a, an unconditional contract, the pieces were cut in half, the animals were killed, and the two parties would walk between the row between those animals that were parted. And the deal was, you were saying, both of you, that you were committed to this contract to the point that it would be impossible to bring these animals back together and bring life to them, that you were committed all the way to the end. And it's interesting is that who walked between us? It wasn't Abram and God, it was God alone. He made the unconditional commitment to make this contract and to keep it. It's a picture of God's grace coming to us. The ultimate covenant in the New Testament was salvation. And it's marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit in us until the day of redemption. It gives us the new nature, the resurrection power over sin. It gives us the ability to live the Christian life. 2 Peter 1.3 says all things. We have everything we need to live a godly life. Think of the covenants Jesus made, the I wills of the New Testament. In Mark 1.41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. In Matthew 4.19, come follow me, Jesus said to his disciples, and I will make you fishers of men. A promise. I will make you fishers of men. In John 14.21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. A promise that we can bank on. In John 14, 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. 
And in John 14, 3, and if I go, Jesus said, and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. At the bottom of your notes on the back page, Martin Luther said this, God our Father has made all things depend on faith, so that whoever has faith will have everything, and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. Powerful, powerful statement. We live our Christian life by faith and not by sight. Then God, in verses 18, 21, 18 through 21, wraps up this, this section, and he gives Abram some specifics as to exactly what he will do. It says, look at verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenezites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergashites, and the Jebusites. God will give the Israelites these boundaries someday. The current land that Israel possesses does not have this, this large of a boundary. And David, when he was king, he came the closest to fulfilling this promise and having those boundary markers. But no one has possessed that yet before Jesus has returned. One day they will. And God is saying to Abraham, God will keep his word despite death and despite slavery. He will deliver on his covenant promise. So it begs the question as we think of Abram and his great faith, why do we struggle to take God at his word? I think it's because sometimes we're short-sighted. We're impatient. We're self-centered. We're independent in our thinking. We think we know better than God. God, I could see all this around me. What, what should, why can't you do it this way? We're unbelieving. We're wanting to take control and take the problem ourselves and solve it. We want to control the situation. And during this time of COVID-19, you and I, we have to stay strong and endure. We must focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and run the race that God has set before us. We will get through this election and whatever results occur. We'll get through this winter of disease because our God is faithful. And the application here is that when God makes an unconditional promise, you can stand on the promise because it's eternal and God will bring it to pass. The two blanks, unconditional and eternal. God is telling Abram, no matter what happens, at some point in time, this will occur. The key thought here is that God always keeps his word. And we can bank on that. We can live on that. Even when people tell us we're crazy. Even when people mock us for our faith. We know that God will always keep his word. And so today, if you're here and you're struggling in your faith, take a page out of Abram's life. Be immediate to obey the things that God has right before you now and continue to claim his promise. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you have been doubting. This has been a dark time through this year. Dale shared some of the difficult things that he has gone through in his life, and many of us could share the difficulties of either being isolated because of COVID-19 or death in our family or loss of jobs or whatever it may be. Help us to be like that centurion ruler. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Maybe here today, maybe God's saying to you, help me, Lord, to grow strong in my faith. And if you're like that, you just want prayer, just slip your hand up. No one's looking around. But you would say, I need to strengthen my faith today. Lord, help me to do that. Anyone at all who would say, I want to, yes, I want to strengthen my faith. Anyone else, just before we pray. Father, we pray for those who are online. We pray for those here that have slipped their hand up. Lord, I know that it's been a really difficult year. We don't know when the end of this COVID-19 is in sight, if it ever will be completely eradicated. We don't know what we face in the new year with rules and regulations and results of elections. We live in very uncertain times. But Lord, help us to always go back to our calling and our assurance that your word is always going to be kept and that you are ever faithful and that we can continue to praise you and thank you for that. Be with those who struggle. Give them strength. Help them to get into your word. Help them to be reminded of the stepping stones of faith that you've shown in their life and just affirm through your Holy Spirit a peace in their heart, Lord, that you are there and that you're going to work in your time, in your will, in your way. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.